Morning everybody and welcome to our service here at Old Trafford this morning. I was hurriedly going around trying to collect people's names to do a welcome and then realised it's probably Steve Tanner's job to do the formal welcome so I'll leave it to him. He's much more organised and much more likely to get everybody but you are all welcome here today and Mark's going to be giving us words of love today and the theme that he has chosen is around the power of God working in our lives, his providence in our lives, then I thought one of the, um, the readings today, or a part of one of the readings today was a nice place to start in 2 Corinthians 5, just a couple of verses in the middle of that. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. So I'd like you to join with me, pick up the, uh, the song sheets that should have been on most of your chairs today, in singing All My Days, I will sing this song of gladness, give my praise to the fountain of delights, for in my helplessness you heard my cry, and waves of mercy poured down on my life. Lord Jesus, we come before you now as our beautiful Saviour. We come to remember what you have done for us, and through this meal of fellowship that we share, we pray that you'll touch our hearts to be fully conscious of all that you have done for us and the love that you have shown for us in sacrificing your life on the cross. And Heavenly Father, what a gift you have given us in your lovely Son Jesus. And in a plan of salvation, in a special gift of a plan that's been worked out for us and for all your sons and daughters. Please keep us close to you in everything that we do and especially at this time. And be with those that are playing for us and praying for us and reading for us and speaking for us that you will Keep them calm and comfortable in your home here. And be with those that can't be with us today too, that they will be strengthened and encouraged and pushed and drawn to you and to your lovely Son. Amen. We're going to say a prayer shortly um, for the welfare of the people in this meeting and those that we're concerned about on a day-to-day basis. Is there anybody else um, other than John Bonani, who Steve mentioned, that you'd like to be included in that prayer? Paul Genders, um, who has picked up some odd disease in his travels um, to Africa and spent about five months trying to work out what it is. Unfortunately, after each episode, he gets significantly worse and he's uh, 
He's very ill at the moment, in and out of hospital. If there's nobody else then, close your eyes and we'll offer a word of prayer. Father, when I look out into a sea of faces of my brothers and sisters and friends here in this hall, um, I see a lot of smiling faces. And sometimes those smiles cover quite a lot of sadness. And we just heard from those in the hall today about Perlene's dad, whose brother died unexpectedly yesterday, and the pain and suffering that that will bring and the shock that that brings to the family will be palpable. And we pray for Perlene and Malcolm and for the whole family, particularly for her dad and his brothers and sisters. We've also heard that Perlene is not well enough to have an operation and we pray, Lord, that you'll help her to recover sufficiently that she can have the operation that she needs. Pray for Nancy and her family and particularly for her sister, Nora, who has found out that she's got cancer. We pray that you'll find some way to comfort her and take away some of the fear that exists with that disease. And we pray for Rob and his family because his son Oliver is in hospital. And we pray for Paul and Elizabeth Genders and their whole family who are spread all over the world that they will find out some way of healing for Paul and Father we do ask for your healing your intervention in all of these people's lives because we know that for you nothing is a foregone conclusion if we turn to you and pray to you and ask for your strength to be alive in our lives and those of those of us around that you will intervene and we pray for your intervention we also thought of John Bonani in the Congo and we most of us will have received an email in the last couple of weeks that once again suggests that he feels lonely and detached from his brothers and sisters here. And I pray, Lord, that you will move us all to make that contact if we haven't already. And that John will continue to be strengthened and to do your work in his country. Father, for all the things that have been said and for all the things that are unsaid, for all the cares and concerns, for all the happiness and joy, we know we have your son, George Jesus, and we lay our hearts open in front of him and in front of you and pray for your care. Amen. Before Mark comes to speak to us, we're going to sing again.
thinking about this work of providence that God um, has in our lives. The second part of the verse sings, A God of faithfulness, without injustice, good and upright is he. So praise the Lord, 139, ascribe greatness. Thank you. On that note, Mark, will you uh, come and speak to us, please? Good morning, everybody. My thoughts this morning are, are drawn from something that I've been more seriously considering, perhaps over the last year or so, but I suspect it's something that maybe every believer, maybe every non-believer, thinks about on and off for, for a large part of their life. And that is, how can we sense God working in our lives? I suspect, and I suggest, there are perhaps two ways in which we mainly direct with or, or connect with God. And that might be through, through prayer, through the way that we talk with, directly communicate with God. And one we might call providence. The way that we feel God is actively at work in our lives. And that's what I'd like to reflect upon this morning. The, Lord's, the Lord God's care for us in, in our lives, his active presence with us. And I think it's a good starting point to remember that actually God is far more interested in our spiritual welfare than maybe the, the sort of um, the money, the, the, the goods that we have, that, that sort of thing that God is more interested in, in our spiritual growth. I think it's still quite a, a well-used phrase that when something really good happens, or coincidences which bring good things about occur, or when maybe a near disaster is averted, that people will still say, that was providential. Or, or we might consider, oh, somebody's looking after you, the angels were there with you, God's intervened there. I'm not so sure how readily those things come to mind when times are difficult, or when disaster is not averted. I suspect most of us have some sort of providence detector, as it were, on a, on a scale in our minds. Uh, and I suspect, if you're like me, it's, it's only triggered by the very end scale of things, deliverance by unusual means. Something really weird in lots of different times and events bring things about to happen in a way which you think, oh, this is so good and things have happened in such a weird way, this can only be God. And it's only at that point do we have the sort of alarm bell goes that says, this is God. And perhaps miss the rest of the range when God is actually working in, and doing in our lives. I hope we'd all agree that the Lord God does indeed work in our lives, but how many of us can feel entirely confident looking back over the week and thinking through every day, that we, as it were, met with God or were touched by God in some way during each day. That God works in, in our lives each day. Um, and, and I suspect that many of us, we, we can navigate our lives, maybe with a knowledge of, of the Bible, maybe without. And then when it actually comes to engaging with maybe a shock, real experience, of the Lord God, maybe just that occasional point when, when the alarm bell goes that something, something different has happened here, that, that we can, uh, particularly if that's 
a difficult point. The disaster wasn't averted. That we can feel quite disappointed. That we can actually have a real physical loss of, of faith. A real physical disappointment. And if we have an unrealistic expectation of how God works in our lives, we, we can find ourselves perhaps in quite some difficult spiritual trouble. I think there are two types of providence. I think there's a general providence on which everybody in the world shares, under which everybody has a blessing of life, uh, irrespective of, of a relationship with, with the Lord God. The Lord Jesus Christ says, uh, Your Father is in heaven, he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You know, God, God provides the basics of life as a totality for, for the world. But I think there's also a special providence under which the faithful children of God can be the, the direct recipients of physical or spiritual blessings. And Liz is going to read for us uh, now from Genesis and chapter 45. Genesis 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his, all his attendants, and he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified of his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold in Egypt. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for sending me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be ploughing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this, Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives 
and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread, and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt, and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced. My son Joseph is alive. I will go and see him before I die. Thanks, Lizzie. Now, what I picked up when I, when I was reading this uh, one day was verse 5. You know, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it wasn't you, it was God that sent me. Verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to preserve your rent. Verse 8, it wasn't you who sent me, but God. Hurry back to my father, verse 9. This is what your son Joseph says, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. And the question that struck me was, when did Joseph realise with absolute confidence that God had done all this? Was it when his brother said they were going to kill him? And he thought he was in fear for his life. Was it when they'd thrown him in the pit and he thought, I'm going to be left here to die? Was it when he'd been taken captive and was going down to Egypt? as a slave? Was it when he was in jail and feared he could be killed because he'd been accused of of adultery? Scripture isn't clear as to when Joseph felt it, but he is clear that at the end it was revealed to him. I think the lesson that struck me was that God's providential care can and does appear mysterious to us. God simply doesn't tell us the end from the beginning. Our lives in some senses can be a mystery about the way God is working for us. And in preparing my thoughts, I tried to take a walk down my own little memory lane uh, over the events in our lives over the past few years and determine what events later than I thought, well, we're pretty sure that was that was a God-involved moment. And that uh, sort of falling into that trap, I guess, of only really limiting our memories to these little bits, the very end scale of things, not the everyday things which we might have missed. Um, And so that was something which either happened very positively, maybe like, I don't know, the house sale went through and we got our house that we wanted really well and we would think, oh, that, that must have been because it was God's will, God was involved in that and then left upon the will. Is, is that really the way God works? Or there was something really unusual where disaster was averted. And I remember thinking, oh yeah, I had that, that really, what could have been a very nasty car crash where I was coming down a road. 
quite high speed on an on a old Roman road and I saw a big articulated lorry coming down the hill towards me. And on the left hand side was a truck stop. As he came down the hill, he stopped to go in the truck stop. And I thought, that's fine, he's seen me, he's not going to go into the truck stop. And just as I got to his cab, he put his cab across my side of the road and he hadn't seen me. And I didn't have time to do anything but go, Hoo! and just didn't have time to react with my feet, just had time with my arms to go, Hoo! and steer round the front of the cab. And as I came round the front of the cab, there was a big boulder and a 20-foot high brick wall that I was heading to at 70 miles an hour, and I just had to go, oh no, that way! <laughs> and steer back onto, onto the grass verge and bounced up into the air over the grass verge at 70 miles an hour, and then it was like a Dukes of Hazard moment, because there were all wooden signs saying, truck stop here, that I went through. <laughs> and cleared them all out of the way, went through a hedge, went through a fence, and then steered back onto the road, and ended up on the road facing the right way. And, and sat there, and thought, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm all, either that or the things I believed weren't, weren't all that good. <laughs> and, and I watched all the faces of the cars, of the people in the cars that were behind the articulated lorry, and they were all like this, peeping out, thinking that I should never have survived. And everybody that came out of the car said to me, somebody's looking after you today. Wow, was your angel with you. There's no way you should have survived that incident at all. And I remember thinking, well, probably prayed that God would keep me safe. Did I on this journey or did I not? Well, anyway, yeah, it must have been God. So, so, so that was fine. And one's left to, to ponder afterwards as I was thinking about my thoughts um, for this talk. You know, okay, well, I wasn't going to disagree at the time. I presumed, I prayed that God would keep me safe and he did. But then I wondered, do atheists ever get close calls. How do we determine what is God involved because he loves me and I pray to him and what is just a natural series of events? What's just happenstance? If a truck had seen me and not turned in front of me and I'd gone home without anything weird happening at all, did that mean God was not involved? Um, I, you know, if a near miss signals God's presence, does a, does a no miss, as it were, a non-event mean God wasn't involved. Does uneventful mean non-providential? What if I'd gone past, okay, but the, the car with the family in it was directly behind me, for argument's sake, hadn't stopped, and they'd crashed into the fuel tank at the side of the articulated lorry and exploded and all being killed instantly. Was it providential that they might have all been killed? Suppose the lorry had pulled into the side of the car behind me, what if all that had happened to somebody else ten seconds later and I'd seen it, or ten minutes later and I'd not seen it? What if I hadn't avoided the truck? What if I'd hit the truck and been killed? What if I'd hit the truck and been seriously injured? Would, would we have said to Elaine, as comfort, don't worry, it was providential? Even though, you know, it was. I don't, I don't think we would, but how would we rate those things on our providence meters, as it were, is, is where my thoughts went. And I pose those questions to help us understand something I think we often mistake, that there is a way to tell what is providential, because I don't think that we can be sure in our lives that there is. So, 
how can we sense God's presence with us? Because if God is working with us and we don't sense it, we've missed so much. If God's working indirectly through some seemingly ordinary means and we miss it and it doesn't trigger that providence meter to set the alarm going, then we miss it. We can have events which seem normal that God was involved in and we miss it. And we can have events which we put to the hand of God but maybe were just normal events that that were going to happen anyway. So, how do I sense God's presence? However, whatever and whenever that presence may be sensed. I think the answer to the last part of that, whenever, is maybe the simplest to think about. That the Lord God promises to be always with us. It's easy to answer, I think, that, that but maybe it's not always easy to, uh, to comprehend, but the Lord God is always with us. And, and how God works as well, I think, is in a sense easy to answer. But the Lord God works in every way that we could imagine and, and plenty more that we can't begin to imagine. And again, I think that's easy to answer, but harder to appreciate. You know, Paul tells in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. So I suggest it's not about how and when God works, but what he does, how, how we perceive events in our lives. You know, the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, could see the water gushing out of the rock when Moses struck it. And they saw a miracle. They saw the hand of God at work in their lives. And yet, when I turned on the tap this morning to have a wash, I didn't have that same sense of the miraculous. You know, we, we, we walk in a land abundant with water, but we may not perceive the same God and the same providential care as the children of Israel did. And I think at this point, we're, we're driven back to thinking about what is the ultimate purpose of, of God? What is it that God wishes to be involved in our lives for? And the answer is that the ultimate redemption, our, our salvation, and therefore suffering, like Joseph experienced, like many Bible characters we can think of, like Job or the Lord Jesus Christ, or, or even death may better serve the providence of God. So, how does God's providential care affect humanity? Well, we, we know and thought about the created world is sustained by his power, the same power by which it was created. We know that prayers are effective through God's providential care. Let's have a look at James, and chapter 5, verse 17. You know, our, our prayers are, are effective through God's providential care. Elijah was a man like us. He, he prayed earnestly that it would rain, that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And, and the point of that, that prayer, God's providential care at that point, was, was to bring the nation of Israel back to him. That was what Elijah and the Lord were working towards. 
God through his providential care even appoints rulers. We can think of Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible or he pulls up or uh, pulls down or raises up nations. He, he arranges circumstantial events of people and Christians. Um, you know, bring parties together who would act predictably or through foreknowledge react in a certain way. And we can think again of in the Old Testament of Pharaoh of, of hardening his heart. But I suspect my initial promptings about thinking about how God works in our lives commenced when Elaine's father was taken ill. And, and he, whilst he was struck down by, by seemingly the careless hand of a man uh, in hospital, we had to sit and watch him die for, for seven months. And it, it is that one issue, I suspect, the problem of things going bad in life that causes people to lose faith more, more than any other. How could an all-powerful, loving God allow this to happen? He could have prevented this. He could have solved it. Beyond our personal lives, you know, one is touched by the things that you see on the news, you know, we think about our brother John and you read about the things that happen in the Congo to brothers and sisters that are there, to the general population and, and you're left to wonder how, how can God allow that? You know, the, the illnesses that people suffer from, the, the terrible tragedies of, of flooding. And the reasoning can go, either God doesn't exist because these things do or I don't want to know a God who allows these things exist and personally one loses faith at times when those things happen one's faith has dropped when we experience a perception of how we think God should be that's different from how God tells us he'll be we see what we perceive as evil happening but not evil from necessarily from God's perspective they don't we, we cannot always see that God is providentially acting in our lives to bring about faith to bring about something good and if our providence detector is only set to register the unusual the beneficial we, we can miss God's hand in our lives when it happens in a manner which is uncomfortable But God is attentive to the needs of his people. God doesn't sleep. God sees and he knows. The Lord Jesus Christ reminds us in Matthew 10, don't fear those who can kill the body but but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear those who are able to destroy both soul and body. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father knowing. But the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Therefore, don't be afraid. You have more value than many sparrows. In First Peter 3, we're reminded, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Hebrews 13, God will never lead us, leave us. Romans 8, what shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I'd like to read something from from Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews in chapter 12. And I'm reading this um, from the message version. Not not because I think it's a particularly good translation, because it's not. But I think, as we we thought about last week, um, it it can give sometimes a different 
modern understanding to uh, to the original, which, which can prompt us to think. So if you want to follow it in your uh, versions, that's fine. It's Hebrews 12, and I'm going to start at verse 5. In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you. To say nothing of what Jesus went through, all that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. Or have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. Don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. God clearly tells us from his word, that that he is close to us when we suffer. And that when we feel there are chastening acts occurring in our lives, then then these can be an act of of God's providential care. And if our providence detector fails to register them, and we ask, where's God in all this? And we were in his hand all along then we miss much. There's a verse in Isaiah that I'd like us to think about as I finish. It's a little out of context, but I hope we we enjoy the lesson that comes from it, because um, when I read it, I enjoyed the lesson. Um, Isaiah 40 and verse 31. They that wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. When Elaine's father was seriously ill, we prayed. Many people prayed for a miraculous deliverance. It didn't happen. We prayed for suffering to be helped, to be seized. That didn't happen. When he died, we prayed that God would just help us get through every day as we recovered. Sometimes we mount up on eagles' wings. That's when there is an obvious miracle. God rescues us from dreadful circumstances in our lives. Sometimes there isn't a miracle. But God provides the means by which we can resolve the problems which beset us. And therefore we run and are not weary. Lastly, there are times when we don't fly. 
We can't run. But we manage to walk without fainting. There isn't deliverance. There isn't a resolution. But we manage to walk anyway whilst God's presence keeps our burdens from destroying us. I still believe in the miraculous. God still rescues us from impossible situations. I'm quite sure that God works in many ways which we fail to recognise because we're only looking for the rescue. For most of us, I suspect, for most of the time, God, God is most present when, when, when we're walking and not fainting. When the slings and arrows of, of outrageous fortune overwhelm us. When the whips and scorns of time might assail us. When we aren't flying anywhere but feel like we're sinking in a sea of troubles. It's then that we are most likely to encounter the God of providence. And it might be our false expectation that God only works in eagle's wings experiences that, that can quash our sensitivity to his loving presence at all other times. We've had the example laid before us already, which we remember now that, that we're commanded to run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of faith, who, for the joy that was set before him in the kingdom to come, endured the cross, the pains, the things he knew he had to bear because of his love, his care for us. He despised the shame that whoever would come to him to believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is the providential care which God has already provided for us before the foundation of the world. Thanks, Mark. Father, I ask that all my life may be ruled by Thee. The changes then that surely come I shall not fear to see. I ask thee for a steadfast mind intent on pleasing thee. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we are content to fill a little space if you are glorified. And we pray that you might be glorified through us. We have stepped aside from the world into this place today to remember your Son and we know that you have saved our lives because you gave Jesus for us. these are the things that, that we remember now as we share the bread and the wine and we know that the bread is a, a symbol for us of
the Lord's body which he gave that we might live. Of ourselves we know we are we are not worthy. We ask for your forgiveness knowing that we have that forgiveness through Jesus. There is nothing that we can bring in exchange for that except that we bring our faith this morning. So we ask that you will be with us. Accept our thanks as now we share this bread. And that you will bless us today. And that you will bless us as we continue to try to live walking in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus. Hear as we pray and accept our thanks for his sake. Amen. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace we are saved. Mighty God, by geography and birth, we live in a a green and pleasant land. But all of us who've been born here in these latitudes though we are blessed with the temperate climate and safety and security and stability all of us have felt pain and loss all of us have known hunger hunger of thought hunger of love hunger of peace of tranquility and we see your mighty hand moulding the earth politically and physically but you change not Father and that's what you give us Father you give us your dear son that we might know the love that you the love that you give us, the love that you want for us. You want the very, very best for us, Father. And we ask you to guide our lives. Not that we have an easy course, the straight path, but we have a steady hand to guide us, that we have your word, your love, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And your destination, which is a kingdom of peace and justice and fidelity. This is what you offer us, Father. This is what you want and desire for all of us. And all you ask from us is that we have faith. Set our feet on that path, Lord. Guide us. Help us not to stumble. Be with all of us, Father, here in this green and pleasant land and throughout the world. With our brother John in Africa, 
with our brother whoever in Asia, with our sister in the Americas. Let us know your love and your guidance. And we ask this sip of wine now, that we know your love, the Lord Jesus Christ, through this, and that we remember the sacrifice that you have made for us. Bless it to us now, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We're going to finish our service here with two hymns, that's okay. The first one in which we contemplate the gift that God has given us and the plan that God has for us. And then the second one is a celebration of the life that we've just thought about in taking that sip of wine, the new covenant that's given to us in Jesus. Lord, as our time here with each other draws to a close, we pray that as we part and life with its own strange sense of gravity draws us relentlessly on, we pray that you will open our eyes We pray that you will make us discerning, that we will perceive with great clarity your hand of providence in our lives. As we go forward, as the future stretches out before us, all of unknowings and the doubts and fears that that breeds in our hearts. We pray that you'll give us the courage, the courage to trust in you and eyes far seeing enough to carry our hearts forward into your kingdom whenever and however we enter it and see it in all its glory. So Father, go with us as we part and keep us safe in your keeping until we meet again. We offer you our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.